Every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome to the Blunderground Railroad. My name is Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. Hey, how you doing, everybody? We are looking at The Christian Mind, which is a book published in 1961, uh, written by Henry B. Myers. Uh, he was a student of C.S. Lewis. Okay, that part I didn't know, actually. Yeah, it was actually C.S. Lewis who uh, encouraged him to become a writer and uh, to begin to write down his thoughts. And he did so... Uh, writing about the lack of uh, Christian intellectual engagement with uh, with the presuppositions of a secular world, and uh, pretty much became uh, one of the first uh, great uh, kind of the first great treatises on that, at least uh, at that time. And so uh, th- we're gonna ke- you can keep going, and we certainly will. Uh, we got a lot of great books coming up, uh, and uh, but today. We are making our way through part two, and we are in chapter two of part two. In part number one, uh, we looked at the lack of a Christian mind and the lack of an expression and an engagement of that mind. And in part number two, we are looking at specifically at the things that make up a Christian mind. Uh, What is it that we need to focus ourselves on in order to develop that engagement that we so desperately need uh, with the uh, with the secular minds all around us. Uh, and so uh, in part number one, we looked at the eternal, and so the uh, presupposition of the eternal. And today, we're in chapter two, we're going to be looking at good versus evil, uh, and a presupposition that is uh, close, close to my heart, uh, because I, for a long time, I've looked at the world, and I've seen that this really is a chasm where a lot of our current struggles really come come in, and that is uh, original sin. Uh, you know, original sin comes from the church. Uh, you know, men and women are drawn towards evil, all right, towards evil by weakness in their very nature. And so if you do not subscribe to that presupposition, if you do not believe in original sin— uh, you do not uh, you do not believe in that, then it, the rest of it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be really difficult for you to kind of conceive and 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 hear what else that uh, your Christ- the Christians have to say. I'm glad you clarified that statement because when I glanced at your notes and I saw the very first sentence, <laughs> I was like, uh, what? When you talk about original sin comes from the church, I was like, excuse me. Oh yes, yes. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, the uh, yeah, original sin, uh, the concept of original sin does come from the church. And it's very interesting, too, because— Okay, concept. See. The concept yeah. of original sin, yeah, it, does, it doesn't come from any other spot. Like, it doesn't come from nature, right? We don't look at nature and say, well, the reason why people do bad things is because of, you know, the trees and the birds, the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and all that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, no one says that. So, you know— um, it's only the church. That's where the originals, the concept of original sin comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting how it's oftentimes reinforced by the family. When you have a family structure uh, where you have, you know, 
you know, talking about the birds and the bees, you know, dad and mom, they, they fall in love, you know, so man meet, you know, boy meets girl and they fall in love. And so they think, you know, you think the other person's perfect, you know, oh, you're perfect, you know, and, and, and you're such a perfect person for me. And then when you get married, you can get to know each other. You find out that the other person is, is not actually a deeply flawed person. Seriously? Right. Well, except for you and your, <laughs> except for you and your wife, right? There you go. That's it. So you know, you you, you get in there and tell then, me more about this. Yeah, right. Well, no, my 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 I'm a deeply flawed person, so I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. The um, and so eventually, and then even once you learn to overcome that, you have children, you know, and then you can see that your children are certainly not saints. You know, they're not. Uh, I had a friend of mine. Uh, who was a, a liberal, great guy, and I love him to death. Uh, and so uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time. That's how you know you're a Christian, right there. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I haven't talked to him. In a, <laughs> I haven't talked to him in a long time, and I, I, I regret that because he's a great friend. Uh, but uh, he, um, he was one of these, uh, you know, the nature versus nurture debate. Okay. And so he and his wife uh, were 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 really into this, and so they, um, they were especially his wife came down heavily on the side of of. Uh, of nurture, you know, you could nurture a child into whatever you wanted them to do, and uh, and so and my friend was kind of he was more in the center, and he was kind of, uh, but uh, he kind of agreed. But anyhow, I had a conversation with him one time, and once his uh, his children, his, his child had gotten older, and I said, hey, what do you, what, you know, what do you really think about this? What are your observations? And I just love him because he's honest, and he's honest with me. And he said, you know, he said, I will be honest with you. He said, I from the bottom of my heart. I wanted it so bad to be nurture. He said, I wanted it so bad that I, I just wanted it to be nurture. But he said, but everything that I saw told me it's nature. You know, that boys are born a certain way. Girls are, you know, he said, you know, we, we, we gave our boy dolls. He didn't want them. He wanted the Tonka truck. You know, we, 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 we tried to teach them certain behavior. They just threw it out and did what they wanted. You know, like everything, like the nature of humanity came through and he was really honest and said i didn't want it to be true but i can't sit here and say that just because i wanted it to be different that it's different he mm-hmm. said everything i saw was nature mm-hmm. and, and and so it, it is a sinful nature and, and and this used to be assumed right it used to be assumed whereas you know you have the kind of that aaron wren uh i always mention those silos you have the positive world the neutral world and the negative world yeah in the positive world Everybody said, well, of course humans are sinful. And then, you know, everyone makes mistakes, right? So you share that presupposition. You can go to church and just wear a suit and tie, and no one ever knows the difference. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And then you get in that neutral world where in the neutral world people say, well, you know, I can see your point. I mean, people generally are pretty bad, but, you know, people generally have a reason for doing what they do, you know. And and so it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. And now... Everything is power dynamics, you know. Like uh, we say, well, you know, the uh, the British are evil because they uh, they they colonized India, you know, or uh, or, or the, um, you know, for example, uh, Americans are evil because they enslaved the Africans, you know. And, and and you can say, okay, well, you know, maybe Europeans, you know, enslaved the Africans, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years before the Americans did, but it doesn't make a difference because it's yeah. all the power dynamic. And so this whole concept that all people are sinful, that all people have fallen short of the glory of God, doesn't doesn't enter people's minds. It's got lost. Yeah, it's got lost. And so that's where you have to really start. Like, you have to kind of start when you meet someone. You're kind of like, hi, like, I'm Tom. What's your name? Oh, and by the way, like, how? where do you land on the original sin? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's a good way to start a conversation. Right, pretty much, yeah, you know, so there you go. A awkward right off the bat. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of throw it out there. But that's the idea we have to get back to in order to start a conversation. That's what this book's talking about. And that's what this chapter is talking about because you said it. You said, well, that's what we have to get back to. Mm. And that kind of, Blameyers is more blunt about it. He basically yeah. he says, he says Christians have shrugged off the implications of original sin. Hey. You can't highlight the things I highlight. <laughs> well, go and speak to it. It's true. No, we have. We've become complacent. We we have absolutely just like, oh, yeah, well, the world's evil, you know. And then we just go to church and we think of ourselves like, all right, we kind of have this pious thing. And then he goes down further, right? And he goes, we complacently absolve ourselves from passing judgment on the setup, which nourishes us so comfortably. We lean back in our armchairs. Toast our toes by the electric fire, turn on the radio or the telly. I love to use telly. And indulge in the righteous pleasure of learning how much evil there is in the world elsewhere. Right. That's right. Elsewhere. elsewhere. Not here. That's Not right. here in my pious house. Uh-uh. That's right. Where does the Bible tell us to look first? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The plank. You. It's interesting. The comfort has a big role in this chapter. Yeah. And uh, he really does bring that kind of in and, and, and talks about uh, in terms of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before he gets to that, though, I was more interested in the, this concept of the establishment. Right. Like that really perked my interest because mm-hmm. Christians will talk about the world. And they'll say, okay, well, the world, uh, and you've heard, like, this is maybe a type of the world, or, you know, we want to be separated from the world. And so we have this, the world. Now, you can use that phrase a thousand different ways. That's right. All right, but the the world. But Blue Myers, I thought, was was pretty profound. He, he basically, because this is 1961, so even in 1961, he's kind of coming out with this idea that the world has now effectively become the establishment. Yep. All right, yeah, and that... Uh, and he points to the secular mind of Christians, all right, not of not of secular people, but that Christians develop a type of secular understanding, mm-hmm. and when they use that secular understanding to engage the establishment, what they end up doing is they end up basically kind of Christianizing the social and the political institutions all around them. Same thing he talked about in the last chapter. Yep. We're making compromises as Christians so that we can get along. We've just assumed that, well, the world is what the world is. We're not going to change it. And so we just kind of have to go along. And our our Christian practices are done in private because we're not getting anywhere. We're not going to get ahead anyway. And us doing that, where did he say that gets there? What did he say the consequences or our reward for doing that is? We're going to lose the ability to talk to other people. And that's where we're at. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's a good point. It's a very good point. You know, it's 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 interesting. How I, I heard it said one time. I, I um, uh, someone was saying that uh, that to uh, a leftist that uh, being woke was like a secular religion, and the uh, the leftist actually came back to the person on the right, and they said to them, they said, "Yeah, well, you guys on the far right, you your religion is the Constitution." You know, and and it's it's very interesting how that that kind of was like, oh man, this this leftist was not uh, he was prepared, he was ready, and it's an interesting uh, point to levy against uh, against people on the right uh, because oftentimes they do. I, I knew a person who was not a believer, by the way, uh, and this person was not a believer. They had collected all the state constitutions. Okay, so for every single state, 
and they had the Constitution, and and they had the Constitution. They had a barn, and so they had it. Uh, they had a, a display put up in their barn, and they had the Constitution, and then below it was all the state constitutions, and so um, and it was just it. it, it I, I'm. I don't think it was a secular religion at all, but I, I do. It's interesting that there really is an expression where people take these these documents, which are made by man, and then they assign them this sense of kind of righteousness. I'll say, well, that the founding fathers were were were, were Christians. Well, yeah. does that automatically make the Constitution this ironclad Christian document that everyone swears fealty to? Yeah, yeah, that's it's. We see that with politics today. Yeah, um, it, it's almost like they turn the rights guilty of this. Like they turn Donald Trump into some sort of idol a few years back. Oh yeah, you know, like yeah. can we can we just forget about the world for a second that we live in? Yeah, like, I mean that really that's no, what it he's, does. That's the example he was talking about about the armchair in the living room. You know, like there's nope, there's nothing wrong here in our party. Like quit thinking about our party. Why don't you? <laughs> do you, oh yeah, remember every single thing exists inside of the world that God made you, my friend. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that he mentions, and you mentioned this a little bit in the last chapter as well, uh, that um, he he talks about politicians and how they always offer to increase comfort. You know, like, it, yeah. it's hard. Like, people, people need to understand, like, if a politician is trying to help you and they are trying to get you into a position where they are advancing the they're advancing the kingdom of God or they are trying to do something for the human, right? Like that is going to require sacrifice and work. Like at no point, like it just doesn't work that way. You don't have like some politician comes out and says, Well, you know, what's gonna happen is, you know, on such and such a date, you're gonna, you know, pull the lever for me, and then once I get into office, then things are just going to get better. Like, you think things are better now, things will get better. And it won't involve sacrifice, and it won't involve things hurting. You'll, you'll get so, you'll win so much you're going to get tired of winning. Oh, yeah, right. I, I know. That's right. <laughs> are you sick, that? sick of winning yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, sick yeah, of winning yet? I am, I am tired of winning right now. Oh, so I, they got to admit, though, I, I, listen, I'll never apologize for like those first five or six days, you know, like or the, five or six weeks, right? No. I mean, 2015 to 2017 was pretty sweet. I mean, look, we we had it better as far as society's standards. I was just talking about coming into work and being like, man, I'm not sick of winning yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, man. I, mean, was, I tell you what, man. Like they, uh, yeah, they, because uh, like, I tell you, what, I used to, I worked with liberals at that time, man. And so you know, it's, oh. it's too much fun. It's too much. I tell you, and it's not. It was just about, uh, actually, was pretty negative for me eventually, but. So at first, hey, how you doing, Tom? I don't know. Let me check. Nope, not sick of winning yet. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, I I can't say that I haven't watched the montage on on YouTube of all the clips of the the liberal media just losing their minds. Oh yeah, that's oh all this one went to Trump. This state went to Trump. Oh right. no! Like what? What's going on? I mean, that was yeah, that was good. Yep. I, by the way, I highlighted that in a, in a whole different color, the section you just brought up. Oh, is that right? <laughs> so, I mean, that one was highlighted in, in like, red for me. It was so good. But, oh, yeah, I mean, without. he's saying that the church can never truly ally, it, ally itself, either with our materialistic conservatism or our materialistic socialism, for the church is up against the establishment. 
Inevitably. That's right, inevitably. By the very nature of the church and the very nature of the establishment. And then what he says, you see what, you see what he says right there? I think it's Yeah, it was the next thing. <laughs> oh, man. It was the establishment that crucified our Lord. Oh, man. Well, I mean, if that doesn't make his point right there, I don't know what will. Right, and then later on in the chapter, he's talking about the crowd, and he's talking about, yeah. the, you know, about, uh, and then he brings in all this, uh, the divorce and all these things. Oh, it's great. What a great chapter this is. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and it, but he does, it's, it's really interesting how he, he before he gets there, uh, this was a great chapter, and I love. This is where I love these books. Like they, they will try to draw out some of these, um, kind of some of these presuppositions that exist between the secular and the Christian way of living and thinking, and they don't. Um, and he doesn't allow you to glaze over oh, no, things. Not at all. He, I mean, he literally says right here. Yet we ought not to be able to get away with us. And what he was referring to mm-hmm. was that person just sitting in their armchair, you know, by the telly. Yeah, by the telly, <laughs> warming, right? warming their feet, thinking like, "Yep, ain't no evil here." That's right. So, it's just all that, all that stuff on TV we see. This is just filthy. But there's nothing here, right? And he says, "No, that's not that's not good enough for us. No, to no. just attend church and just keep the evil out of our lives. No, 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 no." He calls it. Uh, I think in the book he calls it weekend criticism. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Right, right. He calls it. This weekend dude criticism. pulls no punches, man. Yeah, no, I know, and it's uh, you know, and he, uh, it's very good. I think it's uh, for the people that came after him. And there's a lot of of great uh, writers uh, starting right back in there with the '60s. I mean, Oz Guinness and Francis Schaeffer and that crowd, and them, um, and then Schlossberg back in the days. I can't wait to. Get to Lostberg so bad, and uh, so <laughs> say the word one more time. Jeez, man! I can't wait My to get goodness. there. I can't wait to get there. It's, it's going to be great. So uh, when uh, anyhow, it better be. You're playing it up. I, I am playing it up, <laughs> but you know, I set a high, I I set a high standard for it, but I think he sets a high standard for himself. I think I'll, we're I'll give you this. I like good. this one better than the last one. So your 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 book choices have gotten better. Oh, all right. Hey, very good. All right. Hey, well, you know me going. being being so like staunch, hard, like you know, like. An evangelist, like, and just so pro-Bible, and that's it. I mean, what more could I love? What more could you want? This guy's great. So what more could you want? And you know what? I think I'm going to start scheduling. Like, how about morning, noon, and night? How many meals do you eat in a day? That depends. Like, what? Well, it depends. All right, it depends. Oh, this good. Don't, more time. Don't get into my more time for life. podcasting. Are you judging me? No, I'm just saying. Like <laughs> breakfast, right? I will do podcast breakfast, podcast lunch, podcast dinner, and then more podcasting. We've had no. We've been over this, <laughs> man. As I, as, you know, we could do two books. At What'd a time. you have for another note? What's we could next? do three. We could do three books at a time. I'm just ignoring you at this point. Oh man. So yeah, he. Okay, so oh, this is where uh, Blue Myers is talking about uh, secularism and, and its concept of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. So Christianity has its own version of good versus evil, but yeah. secularism engages the world with its this version. And I so. It's kind of difficult to explain. I kind of had to go through it a bunch of times to kind of see where he was coming from here. Yeah. But effectively, what he's doing is it's the establishment versus everybody else and versus everything else. And, and back in the 1960s, I don't think that he had that frame of language like we do today. So today, we have the, 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 the liberal left and the woke left really is making an effort through the academy, through uh, through the colleges, to control the language, to try to change the definition of words and try to make words fit the narrative. And this was one thing that 
Uh, actually, I, I'm so I'm wrong here. Okay, so I'm wrong because eventually at this chapter, this is the chapter. Uh, maybe I'll get it confused with another chapter. Uh, this is the chapter where he's actually going to talk about that and how uh, people use language as a uh, as a mechanism to go from evil to good. And and this is exactly where the roots are. So uh, so I'm wrong on that. So I, I'll take the L. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is that chapter. And so the woke left tries to use the language to change the meaning of the words so that they can control the narrative. But to control it for what? What is that secular narrative that requires such drastic measures? And for Blue Myers, it is it's the establishment versus everyone else versus everything else. So. The way that he describes this in the book is he takes a Christian who looks at the world and sees normality, right? He sees normality. So in the structures around him, he sees normality in the uh, in the institutions around him. So uh, so, for example, um, he may you know, he may never the Christian may never ask himself uh, to uh, he, ne- he may never ask himself to uh, stop and uh, consider how loans are, are, are obtained. Yep. You know, he may, he may not stop and say, well, how does a person in modern day America get a loan? And how does that happen? And what are the, and so how do we take that? From, what's the first step and what's the last step? And then how, let's take, go to the Bible and let's put that up against, uh, against what, uh, what God says in the Bible. Right. And then let's compare and then let's engage. So that would be, that would be a rare thing, all right? So most Christians would just say, well, this is how I get a loan. I go to the bank and I get a loan, and I'm going to assume most of the time that this is something God thinks is good, you know, that you know God approves. Yeah, and he's saying, you know, put everything to the litmus test of the Bible. Yeah, right, right. right. Well, and, and um, you know, while he may have not had the specific ideas, right, because this is, you got to read this in the context, like you were saying that it was written in 1961. He may not have had the the specific ideas, but the more things change, you know, the more, the more they stay the same. Mm. Um, people were the same back then. It's just a little different situation right now. There was still the overlap of, you know, good and evil and trying to figure out the gray area back then. Yeah. You know? Uh, so yeah, that's just a point I wanted to make. Like when you're reading this book, it talks about the Soviets, and it's like, all right, well, that's right, yeah. we have a different version of this stuff today. You know, he didn't know about some it. of the stuff. We have a worse version, and he actually talks about, uh, um, and that's true with the Russian. The Russian stuff comes off very flat, uh, but I was, uh, I got to be honest, and I'm not gonna lie about it. He was talking about divorce and about divorce being a, 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 a kind of this serial polygamy. Yeah, and honestly, like we have left that so far behind, I'm not even sure that's even relevant any longer. Like right now, what we have is we no longer have serial polygamy; we have serial monogamy, and we with divorce. We have hookup culture and OnlyFans. So I mean, we're so far beyond that. It's, it's you, we got all sorts of problems. I mean, we've just blasted that in the dust. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's really. the least of our worries. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, worrying about you know, so you're gonna say, okay, well, so and so is divorced and they're gonna be remarried. You're like, well, that may be true, but you know, you also have you know half the ladies in the neighborhood are you know are right. you know throwing themselves out there and all this. So that yeah. seems like a more immediate problem. Yeah. Yeah. Although the Christian mind can be used to analyze both and. When we look at original sin, uh, we know that original sin is one cause for both problems, and they both problems have one solution. And that was a great way to end the chapter, and then we'll talk about that too when we get there. Yes, yeah. 
Uh, but uh, he does talk. So he talks about the 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 key sin. All right. So the key sin of man, uh, original sin would be that man is born sinful. We are not able to get to God on our own. Right. The key sin of man, according to Bill Myers, is pride. Right. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. So, and he always talks about how man putting himself into the center, right? That, you know, man placing himself into the center of the universe is a prideful act. And so it's pride that causes us to actually do that. And what he does, he actually flips around the coin, and he makes a, he makes a pretty good point. He says, yeah. if, if the key sin of man is pride, then the key virtue of man on the other side is obedience. That's right. You know? Yep. So, yeah, so p- pride will put you at the center and, of the universe. And what does obedience mean? Obedience is putting God at the center of the universe. He said self-commitment and thought and act by which God is asserted as the center. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But what is it? it takes self-commitment in thought. It and does. how do we get to that thought? We train ourselves like we talked about last chapter. Yeah, right. You That's know? right. So... He does. Uh, he talks about, uh, for example, um, uh, pride, and I thought that he he did an interesting thing. He, he kind of extends this discussion of pride uh, to, to crimes of disgrace. So he, he talks about uh, some crimes of disgrace. Okay, just as an example, theft, murder, rape, extortion. All right, so on and so forth. Like all these crimes, these crimes are hateful. They're hateful to both the secularist and to the Christian, but for different reasons, right? Yeah, and that's what the that's what the not so Christian Christian mind kind of like lets slide. Right, exactly. Yeah, like this fealty to the Constitution, you know, like the rule of law. You know, right. Like, well, we need the rule of law in this country, right? Yeah, like, oh, it, well, it's it sounds like a good and right thing to do, so it therefore it it must be. And we kind of, you know, we, those are the things that we don't put to the litmus test of the Bible. We just don't do it. Yeah. Well, you know, oftentimes it's it's putting the right words to feelings, I guess, or to ideas. You know, like for because the easiest way, the easiest way to uh, say, for example, something uh, like rape. Okay. Yep. So uh, I, I, you take an act like rape. And it's very easy to say, okay, well, ra- is rape bad? And then, you know, we have the secularist and the Christian could say, yeah, rape is bad. Easy, yeah. right? right? So the easiest path between why is it bad and this is why it's bad is to say that, is to say uh, the rule of law and we need justice for the, uh, we need justice for the, for the wronged. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is the easiest way. So that, it's not that the Christian disagrees with that. But the Christian doesn't stop there. The Christian just kind of notes it, like you might note like a, a mile marker on the when you're going down a highway, right? Yep. And they keep on going. And to the Christian, the Christian says, you know, this is this is an issue of pride, and it comes from not wanting to be obedient to the God, to the objective truth, to the God of the universe, who is righteousness. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? The truth is a person, right? It's not some concept that's in the Constitution. So the truth is a person. So, you know, we are, it is our lack of obedience and our desire to be prideful that causes us to forcibly take what we want, which in this particular case is rape. So for the Christian to say, for the Christian to say rape is bad because uh, because of the rule of law and because we want justice for the wronged, 
this is a good thing, but it doesn't even come close to where the Christian ultimately wants to end up, which is a chief sin of pride and a lack of obedience to God. Yeah, and he he calls the person the the opposite person, the person that does have a Christian mind, a discerning Christian. Mm. You know, they're going to be able to recognize uh, the difference in the two, and um, yes. they'll be able to point out the people that he says, you know, they might pass for a respectable law-abiding citizen, and he brings up the um, the example of the judge. What a good what a good section that was. Yeah, oh, yeah you're right. You're right. You know? <laughs> I think even criminals might like this book if they read that. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, that judge, you know. Says you know, he uh he might be like the most evil person in the courtroom, never step you know, step foot in there or whatever. Yeah. Um I can't even find where it is, but I just it's stuck out to me so much that I remember it. Boy, he talks about uh, like cunning, right? Like a cunning man. Yep. And he's it's, uh, how a cunning man can use the rule of law, uh, like uh, and people's sense of justice, like a tool. Oh yeah, and they can use it to kind of manipulate the situation, manipulate people's feelings. Oh and, yeah, yeah, kind of build themselves up. And so, w- effectively, what Bill Myers is saying is saying that you know people will use this. People aren't people aren't embracing justice and the rule of law because they have a strong sense of justice and a rule of law. They're not. They're using them as tools for a self-centered existence. And that the Christian, by aligning themselves with that half measure, puts themselves in a place where being prideful is the easiest choice out of many. That's right. They're trying trying to gain the moral high ground automatically puts you in a place of being prideful. Because gaining the moral high ground in and of itself makes you feel better. The whole point of gaining the moral high ground yeah. is to make you feel better rather than recognizing where your morals come from and that you, even in your moral high ground, standing on the highest of the moral high ground, fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it, it's interesting. Paul Myers is pretty blunt about it. He says, he says, this is not a comforting thought, you know. No, it's not. Right, yeah, it's no. Not, I witnessed to people. I tell them, the Bible's a book of inconveniences. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Right, it is what it is. You know, it may sound offensive or whatever, but mm. yeah, it sucks. Like, it, it's not, when you first find out you're not your own, it, it does. You know, and then eventually you learn more and you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm not going to hell. That's a good thing. All right, cool. Then you come around to, you know, being being like, oh, whew, all right, it's not such a bad thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's not very long here, but eternity would be really long and really hot if, uh, you know, I wasn't saved, if if, if uh, God hadn't left us his word. Right. But yeah, at first it's, hey, let's let's be blunt here. Look, it's inconvenient. It requires obedience. Mm, mm-hmm, you know, he's... Yeah, he's, which is he's, work. It's hard. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's, he's the father. You know, did anybody like having a dad growing up with a bunch of rules? You know, mm. probably not. It probably wasn't like, you know, the ideal situation. You thought you could do everything when you were like 12, you know, and be fine. Right. You know, but he, look, God is, God is our father in heaven mm. and he has rules and we better know him because he likes things a certain way, you know, and, and too often we, we take society's moral code that they've set and that's what we measure ourselves by because it's comfortable. You know. Yeah. No. That's that's very true. Yeah. We know we we do because it is comfortable and comfort was a big a part of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he talks. Yeah, yeah. And he does. He he talks about how the, the church. It, it, it. He talks about the church needs to understand and remember 
uh, and I think a, a lot of them do, but it, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That's right. You know, and uh, this is something that Blumeyer himself, he talks about it here uh, in the chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, this he talks about the, the poor woman, you know. We have, That's so right. poverty, poverty does not have this this assumed relationship with obedience. Like, I, I thought that was a part of the chapter that really kind of popped out a little bit, especially when given the way that the modern world, especially the secular world, really looks at these things, mm-hmm. is that the poor woman wakes up a saint because she is obedient. For her, it is not like, you know, this whole concept of poverty as this temporary position, right? Like, poverty, like in the Bible, poverty is oftentimes viewed as a temporary position, and it is viewed as a mechanism that God uses to call his people forward. Yeah. That people have an opportunity to come and to serve, and, you know, and and underneath, you know, the first shall be last, last shall be first. And so... Uh, and so we have this poor woman who has based her life, has received a life of poverty because she's based her life on obedience, and she wakes up a saint. And then you have this other person, uh, and I believe uh, he, uh, it, it, this person is saved. I, I, I believe it, it, it makes it seem like they, like they are, uh, but this person uh, wakes up. Uh, they, they consider themselves to be a great theologian, and so they wake up, and then uh, they realize that their life has been dedicated to self-service. Yep, and, and and they don't realize that they've placed their trust and they've placed their they've placed their all their presuppositions in these these silos and these little buckets and these boxes, and they all have to do with secular thinking and secular frameworks. Yeah, to get back to what you're saying about the the, the lowly people um, being the ones who God uses. I mean, how many times in the Bible do we find either the poor or the lowly? What He uses them for is to glorify himself yeah right to glorify his grace many times yes right yep yeah that's right his his grace his forgiveness you know yep i had um i had another part here uh highlighted that uh, he says there's there is nothing this isn't something we this is something we should remember he goes there's nothing not even priesthood which cannot be perverted into a mere means of appeasing a hungry vanity. Yeah, that's right. Just con- constant self-service is right. Yeah, Nothing. that is such a great, uh, great quote there. Yeah, I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't. It doesn't matter. Pastor down to homeless guy on Skid Row in L.A. Nothing. It can't be perverted. And I think uh, Blumeyer's does a good job of, of framing, because for the Christian, because the Christian always is aware of this, right? The, this, yes. The secularist isn't always aware they actually kind of get a pass and they can they can let some of this stuff go so that they don't live with this constant worry but the true christian mind will not allow him to forget you got it right 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 that's right it won't allow him so the, the christian is always like you know they're always living with that they're never quite sure because even when they face something like uh like like whether it's uh, uh the priesthood yeah. or whether um or whether it's uh, it's a type of engagement uh, uh an intellectual engagement or whether it's doctrine the christian is always like uh you know like where's the pride they're always w- looking for that for the holes we're on guard yeah well, that's because, what the bereans were well and in original sin right we all know that no one everyone falls short that's right no one gets to the glory of god right. so you know we're not looking for people like i'm not looking for people to come along and and and, and, and start framing this perfect world for me and amen it's, it's never gonna happen nope 
right. can't. So that's right. So you're as Christians, we're constantly all, always on our guard. If we have our if we have a Christian mind, yes, yes. If we have a Christian mind, right. But to have a secular mind means to have secular framing, and to have secular framing usually means to have comfort within a first world environment, right. Uh, and so Bill Myers does talk about this. He talks about how it's easier for the privileged to pass judgment on those that ha- that don't have. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about the uh, heterosexual husband. Yes, you know? the stallion, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. That's right. Um, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's easy for him. It's easy for the you know businessman, uh, you know, to pass judgment on you know somebody who like he. I think he uses ganging up teenagers or whatever. You know, it, what he's saying is like someone who's successful. You know, it's easy for you to sit back in your armchair and just. Yeah pass judgment on people who may just be trying to attain the level of success in the world that you've attained. And you're like, these people, you know? Yes. No, it's so true. Looking at your own sin. I don't care how good you're doing in this world. Yeah. It's everything you're doing is filthy to God anyway. Yeah. It's really interesting. He talks about, um, like it's, Finding your finding your niche, right? Like he's settling in. He talks about settling into your corner, mm-hmm. and in these days, a lot of it is is just settling into your niche, right? You you got that one thing that you're good at. You're gonna kind of settle into that, yep. and then you you're you're going to kind of settle into that one thing, and then it, you don't intend to become prideful about that thing, but it's your inaction, right? Yes, it's your, it's your inaction because. Yes. But for Bill Myers, remember, it is about the mind, not about the morality or about the action. So Bill Myers talks about how people – you can't do this without accepting the secular frame, right? right? Like when you see someone that has settled into a niche and and then they're just kind of – they're just kind of accepting the polite applause from everyone around them, it's not that they are applying – an improper moral code to their life. It's that they have completely – bought hook line and sinker into a secular frame and without even realizing with that and they don't even realize it right they can't articulate it yep. and they don't even realize it right and, and so they, they have this vague sense that something's wrong like they need like something's wrong and that something needs to change and yet you know they've been numbed you know i think in the last chapter they used that word seduced yep and, and it's really it's like a numbing yep. so they, they they can't quite make that next step to break out where they are yeah i think of i think about it in terms of falling into the snare of the devil is okay, is what's yeah. happened sure to them and so he he talks about the people that are that are that are doing this the he talks about the the businessmen and the people that have pride yeah. and then he talks about sort of the the lay people if you will the people who are looking at those people, and he says, "Where we cut off our judgment," he, he talks about our our thinking, right? When when we okay. examine these people, right? He says, "We cut off our own judgment of those people at society's moral code, rather than being like, hey, they, yes. sh- they should be held to some biblical standard, right? Which we need. That's that's not saying to judge them. It's saying to exhort one another. We need to, yeah, you know, right." So he's he doesn't exhort he doesn't, one another, encourage one another. Yeah. So he doesn't rule out the possibility of looking at other people, but yeah. neither does the Bible. That's good. That's right. You know, uh, he but he he does start by by talking about you know the the people that are actually doing it, and he doesn't say that the you know the the people that aren't businessmen or aren't successful or whatever they haven't fallen into their own level of pride and whatever, but he examines the level of thinking. Uh, on that level, when you look at other people, to stop like this is a whole different level of thinking. Stop yeah. 
judging other people based off of their level of success, which is based off of a worldly measure. Yeah. He's saying, use the Bible and use God's standard and not the world's. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I agree. It's interesting how, because he talks about the world, he does compare the two. And when he talks about the world standard, yeah. you know, he does, um, uh, for example, and I think the, the one that he uses in the book uh, is the child molester and the bank robber. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so he says, okay, well, a secular society will punish the child molester. Like the child molester doesn't get away with it. He gets caught and punished. Right. But the bank robber gets vilified. Oh, man, yeah. Right? Like, you'll see it. That's on the front page of the newspaper. Like, that is vilification. Yeah. So, for the secular, you know, the, the child molestation is 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 wrong. It's against the rule of law. Sure. But to rob a bank, you know, oh, this would, you know, this is like a, it's like a moral That's headline sin. headline news yeah, for headline years. headline news. And so, like a moral sin. That's right? why he says, because the world is evil, its judgments are not to be relied upon. Yes, right. That's right. Yes, exactly. Yes, he says that. And and then he love it because he talks about the crowd. The developed Christian mind does not follow the crowd. Right. You know, it's not congenial. He used that word congenial. And yeah. he, he talks about the Christian mind. Mind and the secular mind. Yep. So uh, the Christian mind is not congenial to the drifts of culture or the drifts of current thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? Secular drift. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like yep. that. Yeah, the secular drift, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the secular mind, it's all about the desire to get on in the world. Yep. Right? right. Because it has to be. Because if the five senses are all that there is, Right. If the five senses are all that they're, you know, it's uh, Carl Sagan. So I think it was in 1983, uh, you know, most people, um, you know, Carl Sagan, most people don't, if they know Carl Sagan for anything, then they know him for uh, a speech he gave in 1983. Uh, it's called Star Stuff. You know, I was born in 84, so yeah, I was there. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Maybe you're on the scene there. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah, so the, the speech, it's called this the star stuff speech. And so he says, yep. we are all made of star stuff. And he became very uh, famous for that speech. And people remember that phrase. But what people don't remember is also in that speech, that same speech. He said, uh, he said something at the end of that speech. He said, he said, the universe is all that there is, all that there was, and all that there ever will be. And so, you know, it, it kind of like drawing like this cosmic box like around the universe. Like the Big Bang happens and then the, the all this cosmos expands and then it just stops. And when it stops, you can draw a three-dimensional box around it and then everything inside the box is quantifiable and real and everything outside the box is not. So that's kind of what secularism does with human existence. It says, okay, well, the five senses are like a three-dimensional box. And so everything within the five senses is everything within the five senses is um is attainable and is righteous to to gain right. and without moral standards that's where you end up that's where you end up that's ultimately where you are yeah, he talks about this a little bit at the end of the chapter so we'll get there when we get more closer to the end of the chapter but uh, in in terms of the sexual and in terms of the experiential um that uh uh in terms of uh people utilizing uh uh, utilizing sex and 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 also um, uh, and substances where they are elevating their uh, their feeling and they're elevating um, uh, so what they do is yeah, like is, an unnatural high. Uh, yeah, I'd say like that's they're yeah they're they're everything yeah. is intentional towards the five senses. Right, right, right. So what they're doing is they're 
they're gathering, it's even it's even beyond the material because you can have stuff, right? Like you can buy stuff and you can put all the stuff in your house and you can have stuff. Yeah. But when you're experiencing touch in a way that other people don't experience touch or you're experiencing uh, hearing in a way that other people don't experience hearing, then you're you're then in in that way you're kind of now in a secular framework where you are attaining based on a secular presupposition. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just to like to, for okay, so where the rubber meets the road for Blue Myers is that it's at that point that a person weakens their connection to the supernatural, all right? So uh, the FTX guy, right? I, and I forget what his name is. I should have looked it up. Yeah. Uh, but the FTX guy uh, who uh, uh, recently uh, uh, lost in the big bank scandal, they uh, he, so this guy was, I guess he was on all sorts of, uh, he had a whole uh, a panel of doctors and um, he was a, uh, he was uh, all sorts of stuff. I mean, he had patches that he would wear, and they would give him steroids, and they would give him all sorts of hormones. And he was constantly on uh, this kind of a chemical cocktail where he was he was effectively just heightening his five senses all the time. And so he was always on, and he was he was just doing some crazy stuff. He became a vegan because the hormones and the, the drugs that he was doing were when they would meet, they would kill him. Ugh. Like they would, like they, they, there was something in these drugs that when they, when they, they bonded with protein, like like meat and protein uh, 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 molecules, that they would, they, they would kill him. So he didn't want to die. So he became a vegan, so he could keep doing the. the Man, drugs. how much do you like have to like drugs to give up steak? I mean, yeah, that's I a pretty I'd, good point. That's probably where I draw my line. It's where you draw the line. <laughs> that's it. Oh man, I, I wow. guess it depends. It was the cut, right? What uh, what cut? Fillet. Fillet. All right, yeah. fillet. There I mean, I go. wouldn't give up drugs for like a near strip or nothing. <laughs> like, come the, on, man. But but the point though is that is that if you were to approach this person in that yeah. state of mind and you start talking to them about uh, morality and about the Bible and you start talking to them about original sin and you start talking to them about your normal experience. Then you're you're not even going to that he's not going to hear you. You know, you're speaking in tongues at that point. Yeah, and he's not. You're not going to connect with him, and it's it's a similar process for the person with the untrained mind. Yeah, uh, and I'm not trying to equate the two uh, and to say that one is the same as the other, but I am saying that the untrained mind can be so stuck in those secular frameworks that. A, a Christian can say something that's based on a very solid Christian presupposition, and it still won't land. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It won't land in the mind of the other person right. because they've accepted these secular presuppositions for their for their mental framing. It, but that's what he he said in the cha- last chapter. He goes, you know, "That's going to be the church's reward if we allow this to continue." Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, indifference. Right. Exactly. And yeah. that's that's where we are. You try to witness to somebody. Nowadays, and it's man, it it's like Bible plus. Like you, you got to add some sort of very convincing apologetics to it, and even then, I mean, yeah, one out of twenty-five. Yeah, you know, and and you know, you know where the problem really is too. And he called this out just in different words than what I'm going to use. Is I don't know if it's surprising to anybody else, but it's always surprising when I meet another Christian. Because we'll have been talking for a little bit, and then Christianity will come up, yeah, and come to find out they're a Christian. 
And it's like, if people were more forward about this, we wouldn't have this problem. But the Christian mind is is, is ceasing to exist. So that's not the first thing we talk about. It's not the first thing we think of. You know, we, we just talk, we, we talk about football and we frame everything and what's going on today. It, politics is a huge one. That is huge. Politics, I don't know, for me, that's an area where in a discussion, it's very easy for, for God to be brought into play. It's not a hard topic to breach with Christianity. Yeah. Not that any should, but it. I as soon as I get there with people... Um, that's where I'll I'll end up finding out if they're a Christian or not. Yeah, but it's like why? because you find out if they believe in objective truth. Oh uh, yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, I mean we're at that point now where and, and where they hold their faith. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, yeah. I mean, I voted for Trump, but that this was prior to me being saved. I mean, I remember vividly like all of my faith was in Donald Trump. How stupid is that to a real Christian mind? Right. I mean, that's that's ignorance. You know what I mean? And so now I, I, I can't unsee it. It won't allow me to forget. You know, and he says that in, in the chapter. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, when you get your mind in, the, in that way. Yeah, it won't, Christian mind won't allow you to forget. It won't allow you to sit there in the Well, because you'll see it. You, you, when you learn to see unspoken assumptions in others, you see it everywhere. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you unsee, can't it. unsee it. I yeah, mean, it drives you nuts. Right, it'll just drive you crazy. I mean, you see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it is, because it, really it, it is everywhere. Yeah. You know? So I, I was, um, I thought, I was kind of exhausted by the time I got to the end of the chapter, so I was I was ready for it to be over. But he um, he actually got into some really interesting stuff, and then it really was uh, I thought engaging, and maybe is some of the best stuff in the book. Honestly, um, was when he talked about language and comedy, and and he's talking about um, he's, he's talking about uh, humor and sexuality. I, I thought that was really great. So the concept of language, right? He's talking about. How people use that. So, language is used as a tool. And if you're alive in 2022, you you see this all around you. You don't need. You probably don't need me to tell you about it. But so, if you can change the meaning of words, right, then that's going to lead to a sense of balkanization. All right, you can't. Like, I have no desire to go to San Francisco. Okay, those people are. It's a very liberal city, and they are very focused on uh, on 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 diversity. And they have their own language there, and I have no desire to go there. I mean, I don't. I, I I could live my whole life without going there, and it's fine with me. And not because I don't like the ocean, but mostly because I just don't feel like I have anything in common with those is that, people. Is that your Nineveh? What's that? Did you call it Nineveh? Yeah, I mean, maybe it is, right? So possibly it is. So <laughs> maybe I will end up there, and that would be and that would be fine. So yeah, that'd be fun to watch. That's right, and that would be fine. So yeah, true enough, that would be fun to watch. We'll pack up the podcast and equipment for that one. <laughs> Road trip, right? Is that right? Road trip. There you go. Tom witnesses to Nineveh. Right, true. <laughs> uh, San Francisco, my bad. <laughs> right, right. And uh, sackcloth and ashes, right? <laughs> Be a good one. Yeah, sure would be. Yep. They um uh so but just when it's the language, okay? It's not that I think those people are nasty people, but right. I just don't feel like we are speaking the same language. Yeah. And so I would prefer it to be around people that I that when I say something, I can be under I can be understood and I can under make people understand me. Yep. And so, but he, uh, in the book, he talks about this that language is used first, firstly. 
the first step of this process is you have to use positive language to describe negative behavior or use negative behavior to describe positive language. Um, yeah, you're going to have to explain that one to me. No, this was really good. <laughs> it was that's, really good. That's deep. Well, because, okay, <clears throat> think about it. All right, so he's talking about, um, and he uses the example uh, in the book. It's a dated example, but I think it's uh, it's pretty relevant. Most people know. Yeah, you're going to have to dive into this one because I got, I got caught up in one of the very first sentences that he makes. Oh, that when he's talking about Lady Chatterley? <laughs> no, I did not get caught up in Lady Chatterley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. There I'll I'll tell the sentence after you go through and explain what in the world all that meant that you just brought up. All but. right. So he's talking about um, William S. Burroughs. Okay. And okay. Uh, he is the author of uh, Junkie, Queer, and Naked Lunch. Oh, great um, books. So, yeah. So, uh, but so in describing these books, uh, many of the uh, many of the people then these books are full of. I mean, we're talking drug addiction, homosexuality, yeah. promiscuous behavior, yeah. alcoholism. It's not next, but it's the one after the next book we're doing. Uh, which one? Oh, that book. Oh. <laughs> I think we're doing this one right after Slosh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so that's be, that's how we get the flamethrower, right? So, yeah. Yeah. There we go. And uh, so what he'll do is uh, they'll use these words to describe uh, them, and these are virtuous words. Yeah. So for example, they'll use words like uh, they'll use words like honest or courageous. They'll say, "Well, this is an honest memoir." Mm-hmm. It's an honest memoir. Well, honesty. Okay, so people assume, well, if something's honest, it must be good, right? Yeah. I mean, would you rather have people generally be honest or dishonest? What do you think? Right. <laughs> you generally have, honest, right? Yeah. I mean, I okay to answer the question in black and white, honest, but to know the frame you're going in now, <laughs> like uh, right, yeah. So or like courageous, here. or like courageous. So for example, <laughs> sure. if someone were to say to a parent, they say, "Would yeah. you prefer that your children be courageous generally or not courageous? Which one?" Yeah, of course, I, you'd want your kids to be courageous. Yeah, one hundred percent. Our parents are going to say, "Well, I want my kid to be courageous," but then someone could say, "Well, you mean you want them to come out as transgender? Is that yeah. what is that is that what you mean? Because right. I think that's the single most courageous thing that you can do. And so you can come out. You can say, "Well." You know, uh, uh, you can say uh, Tom and Steve said they want their kids to be courageous, but now let's look. Their kids just did the most courageous thing that you can possibly do as a human being. So they must support that. Right, yeah. And, Wrong. And, and so, but what you do is you introduce this to confuse people, okay? Yeah. You create confusion because what one person has used the word for, the other person has not, all right? It's no longer. Makes sense. Yeah, and so we, we do this all the time, and, and so we— um, Yeah, thanks for breaking that down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so good. Good example. Oh, thanks. So it, it is the uh, the use of um, uh, you know, uh, uh, of uh, you know, this outrageous behavior or these um, uh, you know, a good example for this was. Do you remember when Bruce Jenner made the transition? I don't and, have the date marked oh, on my no, calendar, no, but right. yes, I do recall. So shortly after, <laughs> so shortly after Bruce Jenner made this transition from a man to a woman, he was uh, he won an award, I think, on MTV. Oh my goodness. Uh, and, yeah. and so, yeah, I don't, um, I don't exactly remember. I I didn't watch it, it. I'm pretty sure he won Woman of the Year. Oh, is that? And right? I think it was like, I I thought it was one of the magazines, but women were outraged, as they should have been. Was it, were they? Yeah. I mean, probably not the ones at the award show. Probably not them. Well, inwardly maybe, but you know they're not allowed to show it. 
Well, see, this is the thing is because this is where it comes with it comes with um, institutional capture. And this is not from the book. This is more me than anything. But it comes with institutional capture and then the uh, and then the framing of language. And so uh, for the left. Right. So for the left is and I'm saying this is a fact, not necessarily I'm not stating this conspiratorially. I'm just saying that the left controls academia. They control the media and they and through academia and the media they can control the language so that's they also how control entertainment uh, yes that's true they control entertainment as well yep so what you do is is you have is is you have this individual who's going to transition and so you can uh and so you can control the 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 education so you to say that uh to say that to invalidate someone's identity is bigotry. Okay, that comes from academia. Sure. And then the words that people use to define identity and bigotry are also taught in academia. Right. Then those those expressions are elevated. So when Bruce Jenner won that award, everyone said, "Well, it's so courageous and it's so brave, right? It's so brave what he did. It's so courageous." Well, they assigned all sorts of yeah, great words. Yeah, isn't he to so that? beautiful? So they sign all the words. And so what happens is the media then up the media, then what they do is they elevate and police the language. So they elevate the language and they police it through media elevation and also through cancel culture. This is the reason why, and, and if you've gone back and you've looked at our first episode from Notes from Blunderground, this is the reason why Twitter and Elon Musk is so critical to our society today because social me- because controlling social media and having the, the, the means of, 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 of boosting and canceling in that realm that changed now Elon Musk and now that he's purchased Twitter so now we're seeing that they don't have the ability to uh, to boost the right the people they want to be they want to boost or to suppress the people that they want to suppress okay. uh, and so that makes it harder to it makes it harder to confuse the morality of people okay so as I, I may be getting outside this topic a little bit but I'm a very I'm an extremely cautious and discerning person. So I've kind of I'm vaguely familiar with the idea that everyone's jumping on the let's defend Elon Musk train, okay? Like I understand that Elon's been framed in the sense of he's all for free speech and so we got to defend Elon and then it's been framed that, well, the left is against Elon and doesn't want free speech, and Apple's thinking about taking them off their platform. Right. Okay, look, Hitler was voted into power. We, You want to talk about getting back to a Christian mind? Yeah. Forget about all of that. People are starting to place their trust and Elon Musk. I mean, we just float around like the wind. It's Donald Trump a few years ago. It's it's Elon Musk today. Who's it going to be tomorrow? Who's right. your cornerstone? Yeah. yeah, no, and I agree. In this chapter, they start off talking about original sin and original sin being universal through all people. I like the contrast. I mean, I think it feels... I think a lot of that is... I, I think there's two things that are involved in that. Number one is... Number one is getting a W. 
And the second one is a sense of hope. And so that's what uh, Bill Myers talks about in the chapter. Ultimately, the ultimate sense of hope, all sense of hope in the world is based on a larger hope that breaks through into our life. And that is the hope of salvation through Christ. And so, but for people here on earth that are not seeing the light come through that crack, okay, that don't see that light, they are also looking for hope. And so that's that explains the Trump phenomena. You know, the Trump phenomena was a, a phenomena that existed on hope. Oh, I get it. And I, I fully and admit same, being part same, of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and same thing for Elon Musk as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, personally, I don't feel like I don't really know exactly what Elon Musk is going to be. Like, I, I, I personally, right. for me, like, I need more time. Like I, 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 it looks like it's probably going to be good, but honestly, I, 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 it hasn't been long enough. That's the thing. Well, for I don't even put a time on it. I, I don't. I go, you know, whatever doesn't really matter. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I, I'm a little skeptical of a guy that we allow. He's a private citizen, and he can launch rockets into outer space, and people just don't question it. Oh yeah. Like scaring your podcast. Uh, somebody's, some like something's up. Like. You can't just launch rockets into outer space. I mean, we have a a movie that that told us that was crazy, right? Like, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie. I think it was like, I don't know someone that looks like Kevin Costner was in it, but like you're not allowed to just <laughs> you're not you can't purchase like that much rocket fuel and like the government's not like showing up at your doorstep. Like this is not cool for any other private citizen, but this random guy can do it and then he can like buy twitter and now we got this whole narrative going on back and forth like i don't man there could be some stuff going on behind the scenes that's exactly why you just need to have a christian mind just yeah you know let that cut through all the garbage and then everything else should be in the background the christian mind should be first what i thought was really fascinating was how blue myers uh attached he he put comedy squarely in the framework of a christian mind yeah, he he did. This is this is where he started to lose me because I took it the wrong way. Oh, okay. Is this the sentence you were talking about before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I I agree with him. Like when he first said, "I do not like this new perverted uh, Puritanism." Yes. Which fanatically refuses to laugh at gutter words. Right. And I, I'm not gonna say the rest of it. If you guys have read the chapter, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, he says he doesn't like that. Um, but he went on to make some other statements in there. Uh, I was like, whoa, 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 because I didn't understand the context he was saying them in at first. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is you can't talk about degenerate behavior unless there's a standard for that behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to talk about your crazy Uncle Luke, you know, who does all these crazy things, then you are actually comparing him to someone who is normal, who broadly— there is a normal standard that he deviates from. Like comedy is about deviation, and I, I love it because he he, he says uh, he, he talks about um, so he talks about flippancy and wit, and I love it. I love it because he used the word flippancy. I haven't heard that since like my sixth grade math teacher. <laughs> you got to go to Britain. See, only in 1961 in Britain do they use the word flippancy in the telly. You know what? You got to go up after we get done podcasting. You got to go up to your kids, and your kids are going to be watching the telly, and you need to be to say, okay, listen, there is no flippancy in this house today. You kids need to get out from underneath the telly and get into your rooms and read some scripture. Yeah, I might as well be witnessing to people. We're not speaking the same language. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so he, he says that flippancy and wit, okay, this is really great. Mm-hmm. Flippancy and wit 
can afford to dispense with a sense of objective morality. All right. So if you're going to be witty or if you're just being flippant, you know, you're just being a jerk. You don't need objective truth just to, you know, walk out and be a jerk. Like you can just tear people down. Like, and you can even be funny and witty doing it, but you're still, you're still kind of, you know, in that area where you're not, it's not true comedy. You know, it's more of a personal wit. And so that's the difference. And I thought that was interesting because I hadn't really put a lot of thought in that, that being witty and being uh, and being uh, having good comedy really are separated by a sense of the objective and objective truth. Um, you know, it, it, it goes great because uh, because uh, it kind of goes back to this art discussion, right? Like, so Tolstoy and Nietzsche both had different conceptions of art. Uh, where, um, you know, like Nietzsche kind of looked at art as the way for a human to distract themselves and to be able to elevate their senses. For Tolstoy, art was about beauty, and beauty was kind of a shadow of God. You know, like God is perfect. God is love. And so beauty is like this, is kind of like a shadow that comes from God, and then it shows us, it points us to God himself. So, for example, if you are to hear, you hear some music and you say, wow, that's beautiful music. It's just beautiful. And so that, that makes you feel closer to God. And so when you create music, you're trying to create good music. You're trying to create music that is, uh, that makes you feel the way that you did that first time. That it, it, if you're drawing, a, if you're painting a, a, a painting and you're trying to paint a beautiful painting, it is a painting that you believe that makes that brings you closer to this this eternal beauty to God, right? And so that we always when we seek beauty, we are seeking God. And so when we want to talk about deviant behavior, that deviant behavior cannot you know, humor I, I love Blum Myers. He talks about humor as being a, a one of the sweetnesses of life, you know, that yeah. to have comedy and to be able to laugh and to be able to 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 engage and and to be able to have those kind of feelings is a real pleasant thing in life, and it's a real special thing in in life. And so, uh, w- in order to find that special feeling of that humor of that of, of that kind of that kind of loving humor that we need the objective to be able to deviate from that we need to be able to draw that from the objective yeah he and he used humor and he used uh movies as well um film you know and uh talking about the characters that uh would naturally i think this, i think this relates to the last chapter as well um but mm. the characters that you know, do things that would naturally attract um, man because we, you know, our nature is, is we have a sin nature. Yes. You know? So he talks about the, the the characters in there. You would build sympathy for them and stuff. But he says it's it's possible, but does it doesn't always happen. But it's possible to have films that include sin in them and not make it so it, that sin is promoted, essentially. Yes. You know? Um, and he said, you know, the, the fact that that rarely happens, mm. something that, you know, the Christian mind should wake up to do something about. Yeah, and he talks about great literature, too, how great literature is is comparing moral behavior to immoral behavior, yep. and it's boosting the moral behavior. Like, yeah. it's not just having a book where people do good things, right? It's not just saying, well, you know, I'm going to write a book where the protagonist is going to do something good. No, 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 it's not good enough. Like, that's not great literature. Great literature has the immoral 
next to the immoral, and it boosts the moral. So, and it, you may have a little bit of confusion at the beginning. So, at the beginning, there may be all these literary devices to kind of, kind of make you look into the different characters and what's good and what's bad. But at the end, in the end, it wraps it up. It, by... Yeah, at the end, you can always see this person's got to make a choice between the immoral and the moral. And because the moral is good, because mm -hmm. it's elevated, because it's closer to beauty, because it's closer to God, that that is the moral decision. So great literature is always connected to that moral decision. It's conclusively and explicitly moral. Yes. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, yes. Yep. And uh, that, exactly. So I, I, boy, and just going back to that comedy conversation. So mm. I was so impressed that Blameyers called out the sexual. I mean, so, okay, so he's talking about the sexualized society of the 1960s, and so he's talking about the sexual revolution. Now, if we parlay this forward, sexuality, okay, and he actually mentions this here, you start off with sexual liberality, and sexual liberality will lead into confusion of identity, and then that, will erode all sense of the normal. And so it fills everything with this desperate seriousness. And this this seriousness doesn't come from... It's not that it's the lack of humor. There's no humor there. So like that's what happens when you, you destroy the humor. So in terms of sexuality, normal sexuality deviant sexuality so for example promiscuity uh whether it's uh whether it's uh, uh uh whether it's inside or outside of uh uh whether it's inside or outside of um uh, the social structure so for example um serial monogamy right or serial polygamy yeah so it, which he talks about oh, yeah. so uh so we have deviant sexuality so for example uh, serial monogamy serial polygamy uh we have divorce uh, we have uh, a transgender, a man becomes a woman. Transgender, a woman becomes a man. We have, uh, we have uh, uh, sexual promiscuity uh, outside of marriage. Uh, 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 we have uh, OnlyFans. We have pornography. So we have all this. And then we have, uh, we have furries. We have people that uh, identify as a wolf. We got uh, people that, uh, that, that identify as all sorts of different things. And so when, when people begin to place their identity in their sexuality, it it's going to create a necessary environment where all identities must be validated. And if all identities must be validated, then there can be no legitimate comedy, in which case there can be no joy of life. And that's why Dave Chappelle got skewered. Yes. Yes, the transgender jokes. Is that right? Yep. Okay, so I'm not I'm not 100% into this and I'm not an expert on this. So <laughs> I'm probably going to say something wrong, but he got cuz he was making he was making jokes about transgender people, is this correct? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, it was in his last special. Yeah, it was. Now there was a whole thing. Now it's funny because he was on Saturday Night Live, right? And isn't Saturday Night Live completely dedicated to comedy? Mhm. Mm and and didn't like the the whole uh, I think the whole staff, like everyone uh they all uh, did they go to the picket lines or something, or they they refused to work? I, I, look, I didn't, I didn't, I did not dig deep into the news of of this whole thing. But the media blew it up so big that even people like me who try to avoid the drama that's in the news today 
could not avoid the fact that Dave Chappelle was getting absolutely destroyed over making some jokes because he he offended some people. But no, it well, goes we see we dude it, we see this everywhere. Like, no, we do, and it goes back to like think about the Jenner thing, right? The thing with Bruce Jenner. So like, Bruce Jenner gets elevated using those words, right? So, but then but then when Dave Chappelle gets called homophobic, so Bruce Jenner gets called courageous. Dave Chappelle gets called homophobic. Yeah. And it's the language that's used as the weapon. It's the language that's used to drive the stake between people because you can't you can't even talk to one another anymore because the language, the meaning of the words don't match. Look how butthurt Will Smith got. <laughs> yeah. He didn't use language. He just slapped Chris Rock. His language was his right hand. Well, I guess that's true. That was a heck of a right hand too. I mean, if you ever see like the slow-mos or if you see like the at the end, like a still picture of the slow mo. Uh, it's like a famous meme now. Man, it's it's like he looked like Batman delivering that thing. It was, but no, like you you know you can't even get up there like Chris Rock did and tell a joke which everybody everybody could tell he wasn't doing it in out of maliciousness or anything like that. You can't even do that today. Yeah, that's that's where we've come as as a society. Yeah, you know? and because it is it's it's not. I think a lot of it too is is it, you know it's. People used to find, I think it was based in class, and then people used to get really upset about that. You know, how dare these rich people, you know, uh, uh, point out the fact that I'm poor because they can have fun at my expense. You know, like, it's not even that anymore. Uh, it is really a lot of people. Uh, it is about class. and uh, So Chris Rock is, is basically saying, I'm a star. You're a star. You can afford to take it on the chin for uh, for ten minutes. Right, right. Like you know? fat people can make fat jokes. Type right. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You know, like right. exactly. Right. So you know, like fat people call other people fat. You know. Yeah. But skinny people don't. Right. I'm finally in that category. I make fat jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. The um. So, uh, but he's not even there. To him, it is it is the very identity. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we've we've gone right past that. And we've moved into to people that have validating no, identity. People that have no concept of original sin will have no connection to a holy God, and people that have no connection to a holy God will see identity everywhere. Because the only thing they have to cling to it's their truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love this quote here it's from the book. It is no surprise that a highly sexualized society is deficient in a sense of humor, and you know it's true. In right now in Hollywood, or maybe next door, I mean anywhere, you have people that are desperate and are hypersexualized, and they're miserable. I was gonna say you don't have to go to California, my friend. Right, I guess that's true. I, I, <laughs> here I am in San Francisco again, right? <laughs> it's not just there. No, not just there. They, uh, yeah, get out of your armchair there over, over there, Tom. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they're um. So these are we live in the most sexualized society uh-huh. pretty much ever I think, and it, people are more miserable than ever. There's no calm. There's no, everyone's miserable. Yeah, everyone's constantly fighting and putting on a happy face every day. But yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, it really is. And so you know, we we just we have awards. Are I mean, we we give awards. We we elevate the poor and the degenerate in our society. When I say poor, I don't mean people. I mean things like, for example, poor literature. Yes. You know, I can't tell you how right, many right, right. kids, I mean, I can't tell you how many kids, I, I, I've never read Harry Potter, you know, like my, I've, I've never done it. I, I think I saw, I saw 20 minutes of a movie one time and uh, then I turned it off. And it doesn't interest me anyway, like the storyline. Like I'm not well, even. No, but I didn't, but I, I turned it off because it was boring. But, um, but yeah. the, um, but uh, like I've never read the books, but like, 
my students, right? Like I have a lot of kids. Like okay. they love these books. I mean, they yeah. that's all they do. I mean, there's all the books all the time. Okay. And so, like, but this literature, there's nothing great about this literature. I mean, like, th- this is not considered to be, you know, this is not Hamlet we're talking about. Well, I th- look, the, the term great, I mean, he he does identify his own version of great, okay, okay. In, in the book. And I, I acknowledge that. Okay. However, uh, I, I'm going to go back to the Bible and I'm going to say that, you know, you, you do have Christian liberty. Are there those people that can you know, watch a Harry Potter movie and also think that holding a seance is bad. Yeah. I, yes. I think there are. Yes, you can. But right. are, are there people who watch a Harry Potter movie and then watch another one and watch another one and then end up like it's like idolizing things they shouldn't and all that? Sure. Well, and it's also too, but it's also saying, but it's also saying, for example, like, Okay, like I, I think Harry Potter's great literature. Well, why do you think that? Uh, you know, or I think Harry Potter's just as good as Shakespeare. Well, why do you think that? Because a bunch of adults say that Shakespeare is great, and I think Harry Potter's great, and one day I'll be an adult. So that means I think it means it's great. Like Shakespeare's great. Yeah. You know? Well, they might they may not have a way to eloquently um, define why they like something. Yeah. Uh, but again, how? What's your you know, what's your yardstick that you're going to use to measure eloquency? I mean, you, you right. s- I know you said before, like, how and does something stand the test of time? Yeah, how does something stand the test of time? And also, too, don't forget the elevation. I mean, the elevation doesn't have anything to do with the art, right? Like, I don't personally like Harry Potter, okay? But I don't know anything about it, all right? Like, I'm not the Harry Potter expert by any means. No, one thing we so, can look at, though, is Harry Potter is elevated. Yeah, is yeah. We, what we can objectively say. Yes. I mean, and I know nothing about the the books because I haven't read them, but I can legitimately say that those books have been elevated to a high place in society. Sure, you know, sure. Or whether or not it's deserved or not, I'm not the expert. Now, on that. yeah, and is that sort of stuff dangerous in our society? Yeah, and as Christians, should we call it out as dangerous? Yes. Yeah. Now, where we go one toke over the line is calling it out as not allowed. You can't do that. You can't say. This is not allowed. Like, if it's not expressly said in the Bible, right? This, 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 not allowed. Yeah. Then tough. Oh well. Well, yeah. And there is. I, I always like to say, like, so I always like to say because one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes, and and, and know about then and the wisdom literature. Are we headed too. to chapter twelve. Yeah. Right now we're uh, the uh, nice the um uh, the wisdom chapters there are right around there as well. Yep. Uh, but um, is there is such a thing as being okay? So. There's such a thing as being sinful and not sinful and then being wise and not wise and being unwise. You know, like you can say to someone like that may not be a wise course of action. Like um, there was one time I like, for example, uh, there was like a bag of candy one time. And so I ate the whole bag of candy. And that is and so maybe my mom would say or my wife or some I forget. And I don't even remember how old I was, but maybe this happened last week. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, someone said to me. You know, it's not a good idea. It's not a very wise idea to eat that whole bag of candy. But okay. at the time, the candy tasted, it was magically delicious. And so I was, and, and the food coloring was really hitting the right spot. So I was like, man, I, I need to eat this whole bag of candy. So I ate the whole bag of candy. And then I was like, man, I'm so glad I ate that whole bag of candy. And then someone said, well, you know, this is not a very good idea, you know. And so I said, well, hold on, wait a minute. Well, you know what? You're right. That's a terrible idea. Because I got a tummy ache. So you're yeah. saying that, 
all things were lawful, but not all things are expedient. <laughs> so they are all lawful. Right. So you can't tell somebody they can't do it. Amen. So, you can tell right. somebody this is probably a bad idea. Right, probably a bad idea. I'm just and letting you know. See, those people that said don't eat the, can- the bag of candy, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, you know, eat a whole bag of candy, you're going to get like a stomach. They ache. may have a good idea. You get a tummy ache. And so, um, and, and so it, it'll give you the jitters too, you know. I mean, I'm not sitting around eating a whole bag of candy. That's for sure. So, but they're, yeah. Uh, yeah, right there, but I don't, but just because I, so do I eat a full bag of candy anymore? No, I, I left that behind. I no longer eat full bags of candy because it's not a very wise thing to do. Uh, but I don't yeah. feel like I, I don't feel like I sinned against God when I, when I, you know, ate the bag of candy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, back to here. So the Christian mind, the Christian mind is basically mentioned as a bulwark, okay, against a drift to moral relativism and cultural degradation. Boy, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really do. Yeah, I mean, that's, what can you say about that? I mean, that's just a, that statement stands on its own. Yeah, boy, it really does. And I love that idea of the Christian mind is a bulwark, you know, a bulwark against the storm, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Before he ends the chapter, though, he he does say, uh, he goes, I like how he puts this. He goes, it would, however, be dangerous to end this chapter at this particular point. The point at which one has forcefully stressed the Christian mind's full recognition of evil at large in the world and even in the most respectable and exalted circles of it. Yeah. He's like, oh, we can't end it there because if we ended it there, where would we be? This War- warming our point. feet up by the telly. That, <laughs> that is he, such a great point. He's calling out. He's saying that he himself, if he just ended his writing there, then yeah. that's where he'd be, you know? And so he turns it back to the church, you know? Yep. And he says the church's judgment upon the modern world is very different. It is properly expressed, properly expressed, when we turn to our contemporaries and say, look what we've done, you and I, luxury here, famine there, juvenile delinquency, prostitution, this whole list of things. Yeah. And he says, look what our human nature produces when it gets a free hand unrestrained by god yeah you know is that is this how you want things to continue right right and he says it's the church's responsibility yep to have that view to call that out to not just separate ourselves like armchair guy and be like yep not our problem whatever we're the church you're the world right no because we're all of god's creatures every single one of us yeah from the least to the greatest we are no different he, I, I love us above one another. Boy, is amen. I, I love the way he ends the chapter because he, he talks about hope, you know? Yep. Like, he's basically spent the entire chapter uh, sowing kind of the sense of despair and right, the right, sense right. of kind of like of, of uh, hopelessness, right? And he's like, if he was just to cut it off there, like, it would be, okay, well, it's hopeless and, you know, you better be happy that God exists because otherwise, you know, you would just have to wallow in it forever. <laughs> Pretty right? much. Pretty much. And, but the the truth is the Christian message is one of hope. And how, right. and, and he talks about how, and it also too, it's wonderful. You know, Christ came as a lowly man. He didn't come as the king. You know, he, he Christ came with, with nothing. He didn't have, he didn't own anything, right? He wasn't, he didn't come and have a great career. He didn't come and become wealthy, you know? So we can't say, well, you know, I want to become wealthy because Christ is wealthy. Well, wait, Christ wasn't wealthy, you know? He didn't have anything, right? So 
he 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 was he was with the the sinners and the tax collectors you know so he he didn't he, he wasn't spending all this time with the publicans you know yep. so uh he and, and so we we have it so he comes for the law so when you, people feel hopeless they have a there is a reason for hope and right. so uh that is such a wonderful way uh to end that chapter uh and it was so great it was so great to see because that whole chapter being about good and evil, right? That that good versus evil, and how and how do we define it? Yeah, and how do we define it? And and so uh, we define it in terms of of original sin, condemnation, and salvation. And salvation for who? For what the you know for for in in a secular framing, may it never be. You nope. know, no, for the outcast, for Not the for sick. Me. For the lame, you know, Christ is a Christ is a, a a savior where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, Christ came to serve. Right. You know, so uh, that it was how wonderful! What a hopeful message. Yep. Amen. Uh, yeah. Amen. And so those. Uh, uh, so we now have two aspects of a Christian mind. We have uh, a focus on the eternal rather than the temporal. And we have a, a godly conception of good versus evil. Uh, and so those are two great things to think about and uh, to really uh, ponder and to practice. Uh, those, uh, those are going to be very important if we're going to be able to engage the world in the way that we need to. Thank you for joining us today on the Blunderground Railroad. We will be back next time to look at chapter number three in part two of A Christian Mind. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time.